0: I'm fucked up. Hello everybody and welcome to Room Wagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. Especially if you eat as crazy as I've done in the last 15 days. Coming back home from to my mom, I came here on the 17th, I have not been doing anything else than only eating and not riding. But, okay, at the moment, 30th of December 2018, I'm missing dramatically my bicycle. But on the 2nd of January, after a couple of interviews and organizing a bit of interviews for this podcast, I'm going to be on top of my 3T Explorer, thanks to 3T for giving me that and riding a really 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 long way to yeah to get back on the track 30th of december for me for you it's first of january so happy 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 2019 to everybody a lot of cool resolution but don't forget two resolutions i can i want to hear from you first of all is Riding your bicycle, your amazing bicycle, your shitty bicycle, whatever, but ride your fucking bicycle and listen to my voice and send me feedback and share this episode to everybody out there. How? First of all, going with the sharing thing. You are listening to this amazing podcast thanks to Spreaker on Spreaker, obviously Apple Podcasts or Spotify take the link that you're listening and share it with everybody on the 1st of December who shares this podcast on the 1st of the the year, first day of the year, it will do it, he will do it, or she will do it for the whole year. So please do it and send me feedbacks. Instagram.com calamarocc, calamarocc on Instagram. That's my account. Facebook.com calamarocc for sure. And then hello at calamarocc is my email and twitter.com slash read calamaro. My Twitter account Everything is clear, right? Just jump directly into the interviews. One, only one. On the interview, the first interview of the year. Everybody knows it. I was chasing this thing. Now it has been a couple of months because we talked about Silk Road Mountain Race. We talked about Torino Nice. We talked about all the amazing endurance rides and races that are out there. And I'm chasing a new one. Something was missing it was missing the king of, let's say, the king in Europe of these kind of rides, these kind of ultra endurance races. I'm talking about the transcontinental race. For this reason, I sent around a couple of emails, I wrote in, in uh, Facebook groups, and at the end, I got the honor of having on my podcast, Anna Heslach. No, wait, she told me how to say that. Anna Haslock. Here you go. And I've made it. I got an interview with her and I'm super happy to host her here on my streaming. Yes, streaming, like in the radios. And I've done it. Exactly in the Riso, I interviewed her at the beginning of December. And while I was here, in Italy, I was waiting as I'm doing it, I think... In the last couple of months as well, I was waiting for the new episode of Explore. Explore is the podcast of the cycling podcast, talking about adventure on the bicycle, exactly the same thing that I am doing. And I got to know around the 22nd, 23rd, I think 23rd of December, that Anna Aslock was already there, is an interview. But I'm super happy, first of all, because I really appreciate Lionel Bernay there, that is uh, organizing and putting together this amazing podcast. And also I'm super happy because she was on records with a live interview and whatever. That was amazing. I was also super happy because on The Explorer, they talked a lot about Mike Hall. Mike Hall was the guy behind the Transcontinental race. He was killed by a car while he was doing the Trans-Pacific race. And Anna is was her is girlfriend, companion in life. And during the interview with Lionel uh, in The Explorer, they were talking mostly about Mike and all the work behind the transcontinental race, ideation and everything. I before knowing it already, I decided that I wanted to focus this episode, this interview, a bit more on how is organizing for Anna the transcontinental itself, how is the ride and the race, sorry, the number 7 with the new parkour and everything, and also what's about her more than Mike. And this was super fortunate because actually in that way we can say that one interview can compensate the other with different kind of information. And also because I always love to interview people on their present and future. And that's what I've done. I have to say again thanks to Anna to be on this podcast. And now to say to thank you of listening it. And I will talk to you at the end of it. For now, just taste this amazing interview. I got a lot of fun and I got a lot of... Um, I was really emotional on doing it. I was really, really thrilled on doing it. So listen to it and then tell me what you think about it. Bye. I believe that, as I was saying, I hate when I say, as I was saying, but I said already a lot of times, um, something that I really want to do since the beginning of this podcast was to interview somebody talking about the race itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the transcontinental race and I'm super honored to have here on my microsoft, um, microsoft on my microphone today anna hashlock director of the transcontinental race hi anna how are you doing
1: hi i'm good thanks how are you
0: i'm really good and i really hope i didn't mistake anything in the spelling of your name and surname was i okay
1: uh, yeah it's has haslock not hashlock but you know that's just a pronunciation it's it's fine <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, no, no, uh, that's really a joke, but I really, I'm not joking on it. I'm not tricking on it. I really don't know how to spell and pronounce name of people. I always make mistakes. So <laughs> I was expecting not making everything correct. So probably I can repeat. No, better not to repeat it. I don't want to put myself full of ridiculous. Uh, and. <laughs> yes, um, Anna, I'm really, really happy to have you here on my microphone, this time I can say it correctly, and yeah, maybe we can all start with a small introduction of yourself.
1: Yep, my name's Anna, um, I am the race director of the Transcontinental Race now, um, we run the race as um, Mike, Michael's legacy. Um I used to I used to run the race with with Mike. I was the race coordinator, and he was the race director. Uh, obviously, in his absence, I've taken over race direction. Um, yeah, that's about it, really.
0: <laughs> Before going to the how everything started question, something that really comes into my mind because uh, you put actually two different, let's say. Uh, I would not say titles, it's a bit more tasks or yeah, task name that you put there. It's race director and race coordinator. What's really the task of a race director?
1: Um, gosh, <laughs> just about everything. <laughs> um, I guess because we're, um, we're a very small company, um, we, I run a very small company with um, Rory Kemper. Called Lost Dot Limited. And we run the Transcontinental Race and we're about well, we're starting a new race called the Trans-Pyrenees Race. Um, So as the race director, um, I am also the managing director of Lost Dot Limited. So uh, I basically do just about everything, <laughs> with support from Rory. Um, who, who is a, He's full-time. He works full-time somewhere else, so um, he supports me around his main job, and then I'm the only full-time employed person at Lost Dot. So I basically run Lost Dot and also run the two races. Okay. Uh, I guess to be specific, um, the race director... Uh, because obviously Mike was the race director, um, and I supported him. So the uh, race coordinator role is more of a support role. Um, and while I was the race coordinator supporting Mike, uh, I, was, I was basically his apprentice. So I learnt on the job how to how to run events and run these races and all the concerns that we have to uh, manage. Um, and then, yeah, Rory, Rory started helping, and so I guess he's sort of doing the same as I did with Mike. You know, he's learning how we run these things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can completely see the point. So I really liked your definition of actually race manager or race director is doing everything. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I can understand a bit of everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it changes it changes over the year obviously while we're not actually on a race or we're not uh, there's there's different roles to undertake and then uh while you know and it's mostly just me and Rory and then when we are when we have a race happening then our team grows a lot bigger <laughs> and um, we have a lot of volunteers and we have a big media team so uh we have a lot more people who obviously Then I would manage those people as well, but um, yeah. So my role kind of changes throughout the year.
0: Yeah, because it depends really on the personalities that you are onboarding, right? And also on the period of the year as well. Maybe during the the launch of the new edition, there's something to do, and then something that are uh, some of your tasks that are changing while the race is happening and stuff like this.
1: Yeah, precisely
0: yeah exactly exactly and uh, just continue on this flow uh, you were saying that um, yeah you were actually mentioning that actually you're a small group anyways uh, running uh, yearly or every day during the year the race and then you are growing during the the period going coming actually close to the event itself but what does it mean actually organizing the transcontinental race which one are the milestones the steps during the year that you see and usually how many people if you can go deep a bit more on that uh, that are involved
1: um okay uh, i might forget some of those questions because there's a lot there uh, so what are the steps involved in yeah in running the race is that was that your first question?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, throughout the year, well, um right now we've we've just launched TCR number seven um and we had applications open for two weeks. So uh everybody had the opportunity to apply using our pretty long application form. Um and then we've closed that now. That closed on Friday the 14th, and um so now we have the job of reading all the applications. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, there's there's that's a big job, um, and then we go through all the applications, read them all, and um, then we use our various processes to. Um, it's not really a selection, but select the riders who. Who who get to race the race because uh, this year, like every year, we're we're heavily oversubscribed. So, unfortunately, there'll be people who don't make it through this time. But we try very hard to make it as fair as we can uh, to people who've applied before. Uh, obviously, we have volunteers help us, so we reward uh, people who volunteered for us. Uh, we like to encourage women. Uh, To race, so um, we have various ways that we um, slightly sort of manage uh, who gets to race the transcontinental, but we do most of it through a ballot, uh, which is the sort of fairest way we feel that we can. that we can manage that
0: okay okay so basically the selection if we can call it in that way is actually involving some uh some different uh, yeah some different details that are here and there so if you were before if you participated so, to some um edition before for sure you have a bit more possibilities or you're getting in, whatever. If you were same thing, if you were a volunteer, uh, obviously you encourage women to take part of it. But most of the thing, you are putting all the names or mostly all the names that you think they are, uh, yeah, that they can participate in a bowl and then you extract some of those.
1: Yeah, so uh, we can have 300 people racing the race. Uh, So we we slightly sort of over... um, we, we invite more than 300 people because there's always dropouts. So, um, yeah, we, we invite more people in the hopes that we'll get near to 300 races starting on the day.
0: Yeah, it's really... It's really uh, like everything related to the transcontinental race, this, there's something, I don't know, some kind of magic involved in that. And um, I think that this, this kind of selection is one of the parts, of the major parts, I would say. Um, so, uh, as I was saying, I wanted to to say also at the beginning, to ask you at the beginning, but that would, then we won't, we went through other stuff, how everything happened uh, with the transcontinental race. Uh, we all know that was Mike's idea, uh, but you were there actually from the beginning. What happened? How everything started? Yeah. <laughs> um
1: well i wasn't actually there right at the beginning uh, but obviously i was very close to mike and so i do know the full story um so it the race started in 2013 uh and mike uh kind of had the idea for the race um while he was um competing in the round the world race uh that he finished in i think it was on his birthday uh, in June, 2012. Um, so he, he had the idea, I, I think probably what happened was the organization of the, of the race, uh, of the round the world race. Um, there was some problems with the organization. So it ended up that the competitors and so Mike and his, his like colleagues or um, peers, uh, had to kind of get involved in organizing the event to sort of make sure it happened. Um, so he, um, I guess he got a kind of taste of w- what it's like to organize a big event like that while he was helping to organize it. Um, and then while he was racing the, the sort of first leg of his round the world race, uh, it was basically London to Istanbul. Um, so He got that kind of idea as he crossed the continent. You know, not everybody can do around the world race. You know, that's a massive undertaking. People don't get that much time off work. And, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that not many people can, can manage. However, you know, you could race across Europe in a couple of weeks. And that's somebody's holiday. It's not as expensive as around the world, but it is still um a really big it's a really big undertaking so um yeah I guess that's sort of where his that's how the idea kind of formed um and obviously he you know really enjoyed his first leg of around the world and um thought wouldn't it be great to kind of share this with more people so uh yeah that's how it was kind of born and then yeah in 2013 he, when he got back off around the world, he just started organising it. <laughs> um, I think he worked with, there's, um, there's a company called The Adventurists. And I think they uh, ran the first ever transcontinental race. Uh, at least they started organising it together. So he got some support from them. Um, and then um, it just... It just really took off. I don't, you know, nobody was expecting it to to be <laughs> to be as sort of popular and to capture that many people's kind of imagination. But it really, it really took off. So um he was still working full time as an engineer for the first couple of years that we ran the Transcontinental, um, and I met Mike um, just at, towards the end of two thousand and thirteen. So um, quite quickly. It was more work than he could do, especially with a full-time job. Um, so, I ran my own company at the time, so I had I could be quite flexible. So, um, started helping him, and that's how that kind of happened. Really, um, I used to my company was printmaking, so um, that's that's where the printing of the caps came from. Ah. Um, oh. So yeah, we were the first people to to hand print letters on the cap so that's how that came about
0: okay okay no, that's magic actually also because uh, correct me if i'm wrong it was the first time that the participants of a ride of a race uh, would receive the own their own cap with their own number on on top of it it was actually the first time that i've seen that i don't know if this was happening also in other races
1: uh, as far as I know, in this scene, anyway, I mean, I don't know if if it's kind of like something that used to happen back in the day, but um, you know, like now a lot of a lot of races that are like the transcontinental, they they've sort of taken that on. But it was, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it came out of just me and Mike kind of brainstorming of how the best way to um, for each rider to carry their to carry their number and he said oh wouldn't it be great if we could get it onto the caps you're a printmaker how am I going to do this so yeah
0: yeah Great idea, way better than having your number on your handlebar, and yeah, really great, great, great idea. I really, I think it's really, really the cap of in this case the Transcontinental race. I know that also in other races right now they are doing the same, but I believe that really the caps of the Transcontinental race participants are really an icon. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in love. I am really a fan addicted to. Oh, hello. Oops, I've lost you. I can't hear you. Technical problems, it always happens. Sometimes I burn my broccoli. Sometimes the system doesn't work. This time the system didn't work. But we were exactly here and we are still here. We are still here, right, Anna? We are still here, yeah. So we have it here. And now I want to kick off again the conversation asking a really complicated question, probably because it's complicated also in my brain. But I think that we got the right angle on that. And I want to know from you, Anna, um, the transcontinental race is unique because it has together uh, in itself the elements of the ride. The, so the, the exploration ride, the elements of the experience ride, the element of the race because there are people that want to arrive and to arrive first, plus there is the event, the the element of the community is super unique. How did you arrive to this concept? How would you explain this, uh, all this stuff staying together? Okay, yeah.
1: Mike's um, original uh, intention with the race, uh, with the TCR was to um, like design a race that measured um, the whole like that that tested the the human and his bike like that or their bike i shouldn't say his uh tested the human and their bike and um so obviously that in, that includes if you if it's an adventure you know if it's a long a long race like the t c r is then um that also includes your navigation so you're not just uh you're not just following a route that somebody else has set, but you've actually got to plan uh, your own your own route and try and plan the fastest and most efficient route, plus the safest um, route that you can, in order to get yourself to the finish line. Um, obviously, as well as cycling very fast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was Mike's intention. Um, I guess that came from the round the world race again that he that he participated in and the record that um he he held um he he had to uh plan his own route around the world um there's various different um there were some like criteria that he had to follow obviously to make it a, a race that that different you know that that measured a bunch of different people but um so for us like the control points the start the finish and uh the four control points that we have those are uh the way to kind of make sure that everybody's um doing the same race um and then but then because we're testing their navigation skills then um how they get between those is up to them um obviously that also includes uh what they eat when they eat uh when they rest when they stop um and that's all very very personal that all um really depends on you yourself your body um and you have to learn you know as you're training um you have to learn what works for you and you have to do the stuff that works for you to make you as most as as efficient as you can um so yeah that's the that was the idea behind the race um and then I guess the community spirit kind of grew out of the fact that um you know Mike started this race in his spare time he was you know uh he was still working full-time so uh, there was no kind of need to make try and make a sort of full-time living out of it so um the race the race is quite affordable um at least the entry fee (laughs) i know getting yourself across europe is quite expensive but you know the entry fee is is quite affordable and that's always been our intention um and it's our intention to keep it affordable um and so for that reason we encourage volunteers to assist us to to um put on the race, you know, to manage the race while it's on. And, um, so that all of that kind of, um, community spirit comes out of, um, I think people, uh, sort of understanding and respecting that this, this race is run on sort of passion and, and love and, uh, enjoyment and, and all of those things. Um, and without the volunteers, without, you know everybody who's involved in the race doing so because they love it um obviously it wouldn't happen so um I think that kind of community spirit that's come through that's so strong and and such a kind of a yeah it's such a wonderful community it is um it's yeah it's amazing Uh, you know I, I guess that's kind of built yeah on on respect for for the And and also a lot of respect for Mike, you know, of course, because he was incredible at what he did. And, uh, you know, people are still, I think people will always be very impressed by what Mike did and, what he could do
0: yeah um maybe a question that i can uh that i wanted to ask you because you're talking a lot about the community uh the person that is there it actually i can see the thing that i can see and i can hear from your own voice and from your words is that's really that's something is really a community and a race based on the passion of people that are participating as racers and uh, as organizers and as volunteers
1: yeah, I think so. It's a, it's about everybody working together. Um, I think, you know, another part of the community spirit um, that I didn't mention previously is also the fact that the ride, it's the kind of um, the spirit between the riders as they're racing um, because this race is based on trust. Um, you know, yes. there aren't people, obviously we're watching the trackers and we do our level best to kind of, uh manage the race to make sure that you know we catch catch people if they're you know if they make any mistakes or you know whatever uh so the race is is based a lot on trust um to be for the riders to be self-supported um so we we trust them to and um, and then they have to trust each other um so there's a kind of like yeah this real sort of spirit of trust between everybody um and then they're also undertaking this sort of, obviously amazing adventure for some people once in a lifetime adventure that you know and they're kind of dealing with all this adversity as they as they cross the continent you know it's it's very very hard at times for them um and so they really kind of bond over this uh this experience that they're sharing and and because you know it's a solo unsupported race they spend a lot of time on their own so when they see each other you know in some place that you probably wouldn't expect to see somebody else that you started the race with in belgium when you see each other in bosnia or whatever you know they they're over the moon you know to see each other and that kind of spirit of um that kind of spirit that exists between them is is really strong and and you really see that at the party you know when they all get there and you know, they're also proud of each other and happy for each other and relieved and whatever. Wow.
0: Well, it's it's really, yeah, a, really a lifetime adventure. It's something like that really, I think, uh, puts a sign on you once that you're doing it, especially if you're doing several times. And they can understand why the community is so strong because, yeah, it's I, I really like your word where you say, okay, you started together in Belgium and then you are seeing each other in Bosnia and, and then you're meeting again at the party, you know. You oh. have really done something huge. Yeah. and you're doing it by riding your bicycle and by yourself, and that's great. Um, I don't want to put everything in a box because I really hate it, especially because I change, I change flats so many times, so I hate boxes, but <laughs> probably we can put here and there a couple of uh, typologies of that. Um, do you have in mind a couple of um, typologies of riders or people that are taking part on the transcontinental, they exist. or they are really uh, there are too many variations that we cannot put anything in uh, in a list.
1: Um, yeah, I, I suppose there's roughly, very roughly, two, to But it, you know, yeah, there's two, roughly two kinds of people who want to enter the TCR. There's people who are racers who really, you know, they're they're training to race and they they really going to finish and they want a good finish they want they want to be in um general classification um and and they yeah and they want they want to race it and then there are other people who maybe are more in it for the spirit of adventure for the discovery for the experience and so they're not as concerned with their race position or maybe they wouldn't be too concerned if they if they ended up not being in the general classification. Um, I say it's kind of very rough because I think people may well start in one of those boxes and may well swap boxes or change boxes regularly throughout the race. You know, it, it's such a okay. it's such a big um, undertaking, and it has such an emotional impact that you know I think people. I think people can kind of undergo quite big changes in, in how they feel about the race, just on the race itself, you know.
0: Yeah, but have you seen any kind of change on uh, not only the um, the spirit itself, but on the participants themselves that started during the years, in the several years, they started the transcontinental race because they... That's going to be in 2019, the seventh edition. So since when it started till last year, have you seen actually different kind of approach of people, of the racers on the ride or roughly it was always the same, this kind of mix between racing and discovering an adventure?
1: Uh, yeah, I think mostly, yeah, it's sort of stayed the same. Um, we try really hard to um, uh, maintain the spirit of the race and make sure that everybody understands the spirit of the race. Um, and so because we work quite hard at that, I think that we're still getting people who really understand what we're trying to achieve with the race and, um, and they're in it for the same reasons and they're passionate about the same things as us. So they're as determined as we are that the race, um, stays true to its spirit so um yeah luckily at the moment that's working obviously yeah it it it's like in it's on our minds that the the race could sort of change and um to some extent you don't always have full control but um so far I think we're doing an okay job of kind of uh, communicating the spirit of the race so that everybody understands what we're trying to achieve and and they're trying to achieve the same thing as well.
0: Yeah, also because um now thinking again on what uh, which one was your comment and my answer before. You said that usually uh, the riders themselves during the same Uh, edition, during the same ride, during the same race, they're sometimes changing their mind. Probably they're starting as just, I don't know, um, people that want to start and finish it, but then because they found themselves in a good shape or in a good position, they want really to compete to win or maybe the other way around. Somebody that was starting uh, the race as really a competitor for the win that then changes mind. But I believe that this is exactly the same process that happens from one edition to the other probably somebody just the first year went there to uh, just to get there and to get the experience and to feel the vibes in it in it in in itself or in herself, and then after the years decided to okay next year i'm gonna participate to win so i can completely see that actually that's why you feel the balance between the participants over there it's just people yeah they're getting their experience and they try to keep on the same spirit right
1: yeah i think so you know for a lot of people um although you know i said earlier it's for some people it's a once in a lifetime thing and it's a massive commitment so for some people it can only be once in a lifetime but i think for a lot of people uh after they've done it the first time they always think i know how i could do that better i know i could shave time off and you know obviously the route changes so um every year so you you can't really like learn a good route but um by obviously you learn a lot while you're route planning uh you learn a lot about how your body reacts and what you need to race as you're racing so I think um I think an awful lot of people kind of like feel like if they could they could come back and do a lot better so yeah we do get a lot of people wanting to come back which is great yeah because because they understand and um, they understand the spirit of the race. And yeah, it's great. To, it's really great to get, you know, people really serious about racing. It's, you know, that's that's why we do what we do.
0: <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, let's take tackle now the seventh edition, if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So this is going to be the seventh edition of the Transcontinental race. And there's going to be a huge change, because usually it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, uh, it was always um, the transcontinental race from the north of Europe to the south of Europe. This time you planned everything on the other approach, so from the east part to the west part. How you planned it and how everything happened? Um, Well,
1: I suppose um, TCR number five uh, in 2017 was you know, we just lost Mike. We just, yeah. uh, we lost Mike sort of halfway through the race. So we just had to, well, we didn't even know we would put on a race for a while. It was really up in the air for a couple of months. And then we all kind of pulled together and, and just a bunch of us just pulled together and, and just made something happen. And, you know, considering what we, you know, the sort of difficulties of that year, it, it went, Okay, I mean obviously um, it didn't go great. there were some really sad things that happened, but um you know, I think th- that year was just about making something happen and um, I guess a bit about healing and um, things like that and then TCR number six was back to you know running the race as we had done in the past with the you know more or less the the right time scale. Um, so we were kind of back to doing it, and we felt like, you know, when we'd finished when, when the race organizers, when we'd sort of finished uh, hosting the race, we felt like, okay, you know, we're back, we know what we're doing. we feel like we've we're back. Um, we've made it a success. Um, what kind of what next now? you know this is this is this race is Mike's legacy, and this race needs to be needs to stay uh as amazing as you know as he kind of wanted it to be um so so the race is about an adventure um so we can't we can't just sort of sit on our laurels and just keep doing the same thing every year uh so it was kind of like what what can we do what what should we do um and obviously we have loads of different ideas and uh Rory and I spend hours and hours getting excited about different. Um, places uh we just spend a lot of our time looking at maps <laughs> um thinking about where mm-hmm. we could take the race um so yeah we we just sort of had some chats uh with we also involve our media team so camille mcmillan um james robertson and antonan from ah studios um they we're all kind of discussing things um having ideas and that's Yeah, we just kind of work as a group to throw things into the mix. And as we kind of work through, eventually a race route kind of appears out of the kind of soup of different ideas that we have. And um, yeah, so that's how that's how it sort of happens, really. Um, we're, so we're always thinking ahead, obviously, um, but usually it sort of starts to uh, crystallise during... During the current event, so um, yeah, TCR number seven. The idea behind it started to crystallize basically during this race, and then yeah, wow. you are where okay. we are.
0: <laughs> yeah, you no, know, it's really great when I've seen um, when I've seen all. I cannot call it the route, but yeah, let's say the checkpoints this time, more or less the side of the ride. I said, okay, that's something really special because. It's really easy, I believe, when you're organizing a, such an important, a, such an important event like the Transcontinental Race, to stick all the time on the tradition. Mm. Something like, okay, it always well, it always been okay. Before it was from London to Istanbul, then you have to cut some time from some piece here, then from Belgium to Istanbul, then from Belgium to Greece to Meteora. Yeah. But this time it's, uh, it's super easy to do that. not to do cool. north to south, that's it. But this time you really had really. Um, you were brave enough the courage to say okay now it's time actually to put everything on the other side because there are so many cool things and cool places to explore yeah
1: exactly. and uh, yeah
0: i was really impressed by that so that's why i wanted to understand a bit more about it it's it's really great and i really like actually the point that you just mentioned that um all the idea behind this new direction this new route was actually uh, crystallizing during the race itself mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's great you know? while you are doing something you're already planning on how it's gonna be next year and that's great
1: yeah i mean that's that's quite a good creative time for us obviously we're we're busy managing the current race but um because you're so kind of in it uh and also because you're you are in the countries that you might be thinking about um bringing the race to the next year um it it allows quite a lot of creativity i think that so that's really good
0: but are you usually during the ride and uh, during the race sorry are you usually all together something like at the starting point and then at the end point and then in the middle or you are spread around in the course
1: uh we operate two official race vehicles and so our team is kind of split between the two vehicles um So we see each other at the start. We usually see each other at the first control. um, And then it depends on the route, really, whether we manage to see each other again until the finish. Um, But the closer we get to the finish, the more spread out we are. So we we don't really get to see each other um, much after the first two controls, really. But obviously, we're always on the phone and (laughs) email and everything, so.
0: No, but it's really great. Uh I don't know, I'll also hear. tell me if I'm going too far, but it looks like really uh, a great team that they just need to see each other. And when they see each other, they really can start. It's really another time. It's really magical how actually, okay, we are planning this team for this year that is going to happen next year, whatever. And then once you see each other, I can just imagine all together a huge brainstorming on saying, okay, you know what? Maybe uh, the idea of whoever, uh, of, of the say, the thing that we said two, two months ago, of doing it from east, to, from east to west, maybe it could happen. What do you think about it? Yeah, why don't we stop here? And then why we don't make another check? It's really magic, you know? While you are starting the race itself, that is really the main event, you're already thinking about, okay, brainstorm for the year after. That's amazing. It's really how it must be an event like this, really. <laughs> um still still talking about the edition number seven that is going to happen i've read around uh especially in yeah facebook groups or whatever that everybody is talking about way more gravel sectors than before is it true first of all and second thing was it planned in purpose to have it more gravel sectors
1: um yes it is true um this year we've got longer parkours uh, than we usually have uh and a lot of them are quite gravelly yes um so yeah it was planned um uh don't know particularly if there's a kind of like a grand like um big plan around that you know particularly but um we obviously the point of the transcontinental race is to test is to test cyclists is to to make their life difficult (laughs) and um so it's yeah Our, our thinking I suppose is is we're trying to test people we're trying to um ask them to really think about the equipment that they think they're going to need for you know, what's going to be all sorts of different terrains and all sorts of different weather. Um, we're asking them uh, to, to to be an all round cyclist. They need to know how to tackle all of these different terrains and things. Um, and um, we want to take them to really exciting and beautiful places around the world, and um, some of that requires going along a really
0: long gravel track <laughs> well yeah uh, i really like this point because this year i tried to put as a claim of my uh, podcast so my podcast is the broom and the thing that i say all the time is you will not get there on a road bike mm. and that's what it means you know the most probably the most beautiful unexplored places are only accessible via a gravel bike or a mountain bike yeah
1: that's
0: what it is
1: and, you know, there's, it's exciting at the moment in the bike industry, you know, there's um, the line, the line is blurred between gravel road, you know, bikes they're, they're all kind of, um, you know, people are trying different things and people are taking bikes that you wouldn't expect to different places. Uh, I don't think that's particularly a new thing. Um, there's obviously people been touring with road bikes in all sorts of Inaccessible parts of the world for for years, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of captured the general zeitgeist, I think, and that, you know, everyone's quite interested in that. So, um, yeah, it's captivated us as well. We love gravel.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I can say I was completely hooked this year. I cannot, I'm not going out with my road bike now. It has been something like three or four months. So I can see your point. We love gravel. <laughs> 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 um, yes. Still talking about the edition number seven, I'm going to ask you a question that is related to the edition number seven, but it's also related to me. Okay. So, if tomorrow, so tomorrow you're going to, it's not going to be tomorrow, but let's say uh, sometime soon you're going to open the the call for the volunteers. Yeah. And let's say that I would love to do it this year. And uh, I will actually, no, let's say, and because I want to do it this year and I would love doing it on the checkpoints, there is one checkpoint more than the other that you would suggest me if it's possible to choose to or you would say okay go whatever because the experience over there is anyways amazing
1: um i would say they're all going to be very different and they're all going to be amazing in their own way which is probably not a very (laughs) great answer but um obviously um when we uh, encourage people to volunteer, we, we like it. uh, If people can cycle to these destinations, obviously, we appreciate not everybody can. Um, And so you know, we, we, we just, um, we ask, as part of our um, application process to volunteer, we ask people how they are intending to travel to the control point. Um, Because if if people are prepared to cycle, um, that's, that's great for us. Um, you know, they're going to have a great adventure on the way. Um, and they're going to like really get to know the place really well as well. So, um, yeah, if, yeah, if people can, then we love it. If people can cycle to the controls, um, obviously that obviously depends where you live. Um, we like, we like a few people to be as local as possible because, um, that's, you know, really helpful. Um, you know, they, they come with local knowledge and language skills and all sorts of things that are are really useful for us. Um, but also it's great if people want to have an adventure and cycle from Norway to Romania or whatever, you know, as, as somebody has done in the past, um, you know, that's really impressive and, and we want to encourage people to do that. So that's, that's really great. Um, So I guess it it depends what you want to do and what you want out of it. Um, Obviously, the control, the first, the early controls are not open as long. So there's, we don't need people for as long. Um, And then as we go um, through the race, the control three and four are open for a lot longer. Um, Those controls were usually in Eastern Europe, but now they're going to be in France, France. CP 4 and the finish are going to be in france this year so yeah i think it just depends what you're what you're looking for and um yeah each different control has it's got its own character and um i think we'll probably have a great time at at any of them
0: (laughs) yeah for sure actually then your tip would be try to get uh, try to choose if you can a place that is closer to you so you can go there with a bicycle Try to speak the language. <laughs> um, Taking consideration how much time you have, it makes sense. Exactly. It makes yeah. Sense.
1: yeah, it's got to yeah. work for you know. We want our volunteers to have a good time, so it's got it's got to work for them. It's got to be it's got to be something you really want to do. Um, it's it's quite a big undertaking in itself, you know, it's, there's a lot of riders to, to a lot of brevet cards to stamp and uh, riders to chat to, and we do long hours. So, you know, it's quite a big undertaking, but, um, everyone has, everyone has a
0: good time. Yes. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I believe that chatting with people is not a problem. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> arriving there with a bicycle is actually one of my goals. Great. And uh, so for sure, I will consider. And um, maybe if I can ask you that, uh, how is actually the the process of of Okay, I think that everybody already talks and knows uh, which one is the process to be part, so to raise the transcontinental race, but wh- which one is the path, which one is the process of being a volunteer at the transcontinental race?
1: Um, yeah, we, just, we usually ask people to um, decide how they want to volunteer. There's, there's usually two or three options. Uh, there's the option to um, travel to a control point and manage the control um, with our staff um or you can uh, and we usually ask you to pick like a first choice and a second choice uh, because some years we just get some controls are really popular and everybody wants to volunteer there and, and other controls are less popular so yeah we like people to give us a first and second choice um so that you know we've got a bit of flexibility um and then the other options are to be a dot watcher um that's a really really important element of the race that's how we uh, maintain a really kind of well adjudicated race with the help of our dot watching team um and then this year we're looking for like creatives um to come out to the control points um so we're going to try and keep it open um see uh, we'd like some photographers, some people with image-making skills, um, some writers, uh, just people who can help us kind of um, be imaginative about the way we present the race. So we're kind of trying to be open about that, see who comes along.
0: I don't want to say this one, this thing on record, but if you need, actually, if you're opening also to a podcaster, I'm here. Oh ah, yes. <laughs> I can actually present your project <laughs> on that.
1: Well, we do have our podcaster, <laughs> anyway, but... Um, he may he may want an assistant he may want an assistant we can always ask him
0: (laughs) yeah uh, this would be great actually because i'm thinking exactly something like live interviews on the people on the checkpoints Mm. would be amazing
1: yeah that's something we definitely want to try and achieve so yeah yeah that'd be really good if we can maybe we can chat about that after
0: okay for sure for sure don't spread too much my uh, the ideas maybe not on records no no (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Uh then Anna, I think that we went through everything here. I just have one last question, something like a close question mm-hmm. and another question that is quite open. The first question is: there is something that you will always remember of something happened during a transcontinental race. Any one of these editions?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah a few kind of a few things stick out. Um I've seen probably some of the most amazing sunsets that I will ever see in my life on the TCI. You know, I get get to go to incredibly beautiful places and spend a lot of time uh, with our photography team waiting for riders to turn up, and so we get to see we get to see some really amazing uh, views and you know some incredible sunrises and sunsets. Um, and I suppose probably one of my most adventurous. Uh, moments was when we uh, I can't even remember the year probably TCR number four I think uh, when we took the race to Strada della Sieta in Italy um, which was I think probably one of the toughest gravel sections that we've ever still ever put on Um, and that was the first race that I um actually went on myself, so it was my first experience of going on the race. I was driving one of the Volvos that we had at the time, and um, I was absolutely terrified <laughs> of of all the ra- races going up. Uh, I think I s- think I managed to see Mike for like about three hours because uh, he he his car arrived at the control first and um, and left the same day that we arrived um so I think we managed to spend about three hours together and um he was you know just really thrilled about how great the, the course uh, the parkour was and I think he'd managed to get up there with his bike uh, so he rode it as well and he was just like it's amazing um and I was really excited to get up there and so I went up with the car with our photographer, and. Um, uh, and then started driving on it, and it was absolutely terrifying, <laughs> even in a <the> car. <laughs> so because um, the requirement
0: of driving, and people were riding the bicycle there. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think we we managed to be. Was I there with Josh Ibbot? When Josh Ibbot? I think we were we were photographing Josh Ibbot on the on there. And he was, you know, he's really skilled um, off-roader. So he was fine. He was really fast. In fact, we couldn't keep up with him. But um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I had no, I had no experience of of it prior. So I just thought, uh, how are people going to manage this? But um, you know, most of them did.
0: <laughs> Lovely. But do you usually ride the bicycle also a bit on, or maybe I don't know, before or during? Do you have time to ride a bit the bicycle during the transcontinental race or before?
1: Uh, I ride um, while I'm at home. Um, so my, my sort of chances to ride are when we're not putting a race on because I never have time. <laughs> to, there's no room to take a bike really in the cars. We're, we're packed um, and I don't get time. So, Mike, took a bike a few times on the race but he he barely ever got chance to ride uh juliana she took a bike for two years she was working with us on the race um and i think she got some time in to ride she made sure she did but um yeah it's we don't none of us get much time so she probably had to really squeeze that in
0: (laughs) okay okay well said, but yeah, you can go later on or after anyways you have you have the memories of riding the bi- people riding the bicycle there, so you can go there whenever you want something like this exactly yeah we know
1: we know about these places yeah. now, so mm-hmm. we can
0: always go back <laughs> exactly you, it's not cool anyway to squeeze everything while you are doing such a great thing, so yeah um, my last thing that I want to ask you is actually the thing that I was mentioning as an open question. if you want to add something, anything. That's now your time. I mm,
1: don't think so. I haven't got anything burning to say, really. <laughs>
0: okay, so I have to say thanks a lot. Uh, and it was a really nice and lovely chat. I don't know if you noticed from my style, but usually I really like this kind of, it's not kind of interview, it's not questioning people. It's a bit more having a chit chat in front of a coffee, even if it's six year in Zurich is 6.15 and usually you don't have to drink coffee at the <laughs> time, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> And I really appreciate, actually, as well, the same relaxed style and things that you have done as well. And so I'm super, super happy that I had this chat with you. Thanks a lot, Anna. Oh,
1: thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Uh, We'll talk to you anyways super soon. And for now, bye bye and thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And thanks a lot, Anna, for the amazing interview. And I really hope that we can talk again really soon because you will see it. Nothing else to say. And uh, yeah, what else to say? Yes, I think that still talking about the Explorer, Lionel, that is putting together uh, this new spin-off of the Cycling Podcast. Today... Man, we are competitor because you are also going live with your last episode of The Explorer uh on the first of January. But come on, who cares? You can listen to the both of them. And anyways, at the moment, people that you are listening to this podcast for sure, I'm gonna be on my flight go back to Zurich. I'm gonna listen to the podcast of Yeah, of the cycle podcast. And we'll listen to the The Explorer really having a lot of fun and enjoying it a lot at the moment. I will write to you guys, I believe. So, and anyways, please do another series of The Explorer because if now I'm really in the mood of doing a new ultra, ultra endurance race or a backpacking tour or whatever, it's just because of your work. So continue go on Lionel and continue to do Anna also. I think that the cost of the, of the project is Anna. Anna, I don't remember what, but another Anna. Um, continue doing it. And I really hope that I can listen to your stuff later this year. And thanks again to Anna Haslock for being on my microphone at the moment. Let's finish over here just saying again really happy, happy, happy new year to everybody. Aloy at calamaro.cc is my email, calamaro.cc on Instagram is my Instagram account, read calamaro on Twitter, Facebook is calamaro.cc, and then Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and the Spotify, god, I almost forgot Spotify, and Spotify are the platform where you can listen to this piece of content that I'm throwing away also for this 2019, I am planning something for next year, I just need to put everything on paper, I believe that I'm gonna write everything down on my notebook once that I'm gonna be back home, and thinking about that in the first rides of the new year. For now, everybody, bye, and talk to you next week. Bye!